That was my cue to come preach, right, Larry? Yeah, yeah, okay. If you have your Bibles, if you'll go ahead and open them up with me or turn them on, we're going to be in the 23rd Psalm uh, again today. Uh, last week we looked at the first verse of the 23rd Psalm, and today we're going to be looking at the remainder of the Psalm. Let me ask you this question, where is your happy place? Where is your happy place? Uh, for me, and I think I even have a picture of this here, uh, for me it will be sitting beside a waterfall or a stream or a waterfall or a stream or so, so for me it's sitting beside a waterfall or a stream or, or something like that in the mountains where there's no cell phone, no people. I just absolutely love that. Do you have a happy place? Psychologists describe happy places as third places. I'm trying to find my happy place. And I can't find, some psychologists describe happy places as third places. Uh, they bring healthy escape, pleasure, and they contribute to the meaning of life. So for my wife, a happy place would be the Hallmark Christmas movies. Whenever they are on, she's in a happy place. Uh, for some, the happy places might be a shopping mall or even a stadium full of fans cheering. That might be a happy place. For some, it could be uh, you enjoy cooking, and so the kitchen is a happy place for you. You're the one in the family when it's time to cook Thanksgiving lunch. You're like me, me, pick me, because I, I enjoy cooking. For some of you, pumpkin pie is a happy place. For others, pecan pie is a happy place. So I did this very scientific Facebook poll this week, and I found that pecan pie beat out pumpkin pie as the world's favorite pie. For, for th How many of you guys are pumpkin pie people? Okay. How many of you are pecan pie people? Oh, well, pumpkin pie wins the room. How many of you are neither? Ne neither one. Okay, we have some neithers. Uh, asparagus pie for the health, health nuts or something like that. Well, <laughs> coconut green? Oh, coconut cream. Okay. For King David, the writer of the 23rd Psalms, early in his life, he found a happy place. He was a shepherd. He would watch sheep on the side of the hillside. And later on, he became very, very successful. He was a king. He was wealthy. He was powerful. He had everything in life. And as his life became more successful, it also became more stressful. And I think in his mind, he would often escape to his happy place, that hillside. As a young preteen, David had learned to be a shepherd to care for his flock, to be a loving, good shepherd. Now, in our society today, there's not a lot of people that uh, say on career day, hey, I want to be a shepherd. But shepherding was a big profession in David's time. It was not an executive profession. It was one that was often thought to be a humble job. But uh, for a shepherd to be good at his job, there were several things he had to master. Number one, he had to know every sheep by name. He had to know his flock. In fact, the shepherd would get to the point where he could just call a sheep by his or her name and they would turn and obey the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd had to know each sheep's quirks. And if you know anything about sheep, 
They can be a little quirky sometimes. Thankfully, none of us are that way. But the shepherd had to know uh, which sheep were uh, bent towards walking off cliffs or which sheep were bent towards getting caught in fences. Shepherds always walk in front. So the shepherd always leads the way, and the sheep will walk behind the shepherd. In fact, when the path grows narrow, you'll find that the sheep will actually go into a single-file line behind the shepherd. The shepherd also has responsibility to fight. Whenever a wild animal begins to attack the flock, the shepherd has to fight off those wild animals and make sure that no harm comes to the flock. In David's early days, before he had ever stared down that foul-breathed giant Goliath, he had to fight off a bear and a lion out on the hillside. And at the end of the day, the shepherd will lead the sheep back to the pen, and like a teacher standing at the door of the school bus after a field trip to the Dallas Zoo, the shepherd will have the sheep come in one at a time, and he will do a head count. And as the sheep pass by, the shepherd will make sure that all the sheep are okay and will take inventory of any injuries that may have occurred during the day. All the sheep have to do is follow the loving shepherd, and the sheep can enjoy complete contentment. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. And when David would think about those quiet days on the hillside, I think a, a smile would come to his face. Do you look back in your life sometimes and you just remember those days and a smile comes across your face? Those happy places. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I was in high school, my English teacher, Mrs. Worsham, she, uh, she taught me that the secret to being a great reader was to identify the author's main idea. In fact, she was the one that taught that before you read a book, you know what the first thing you need to read is? The table of contents. And read that table of contents and kind of get your mind around the outline of the book, and then the rest of the book will make more sense to you, particularly if it's a nonfiction book. But the main idea of Psalm 23 is contentment, and specifically that contentment can be found when we realize that God is our shepherd and following him is our happy place. When we follow the Lord, we can have complete contentment and we can have thanksgiving no matter what is going on around us. And here is the secret that Netflix does not tell you. Contentment is not going to be found when you turn that corner, when you reach that milestone, when you walk that stage and get that diploma, or when everything gets back to normal. And the reason for that is that contentment is a spiritual state, not a circumstantial state. Let me rewind the DVR on that and say that again. Contentment is a spiritual state, not a circumstantial state. What that means is you cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. 
You cannot get promoted to it. You cannot fly to it, drive to it, cruise to it, walk to it, or run to it. If you are a believer, though, now catch this now, if you're a believer, contentment is already in you. And as you draw close to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's power and energy begin to flow in you, you begin to experience the spiritual contentment that does not come from circumstances around you, but comes from heaven above. Do you have spiritual contentment today? So Thursday is Thanksgiving. Anybody traveling for Thanksgiving? Some of you will be sitting down at a table with your family. Others of you might be sitting around a Zoom call this year for Thanksgiving. Wow. I mean, that's all I have to say about 2020. Wow. It's just been an incredible year. Um, Thanksgiving has always been, probably somewhere in high school, Thanksgiving became my favorite holiday. I like it because it's not overly commercialized, and it's, you know, focused around things that are biblical and focused around family. Most of all, though, I like it because it smells good. There is not a better smelling holiday than Thanksgiving. I think they need to develop an essential oil called Thanksgiving. Just put it in a bottle, and that will sell like crazy. Thanksgiving oil. And they, I mean, they can call it turkey and stuffing or something like that. Uh, the only problem I have with Thanksgiving is that we tend to have an excess of calories, a lot of criticism of the Cowboys coaching staff, uh, some crazy kids running around on sugar highs, but outside of a 30-second prayer, we have very little thanks and giving, right? How often do we really celebrate Thanksgiving? By the way, just FYI, I, I am going to be online this, this year early. I'm going to do a uh, Thanksgiving scripture and prayer. So uh, if, if nobody ever wants to volunteer to pray at Thanksgiving, you can just put me on the screen and I'll lead your Thanksgiving prayer this year online. But, but I think we need to be intentional to identify what it is that we're grateful for. And to look inside and ask ourselves, Do I have spiritual contentment? Because so often we get so busy that we never stop to be grateful. And then as soon as the clock strikes midnight, what do we do? Throw on the mask, turn Target into a roller derby, and get in the Christmas spirit, right? So let's take a deep breath and let's give thanks today. Let's give thanks today. Several things that I am thankful for as we work through the 23rd Psalm. Number one, I'm thankful that God cares for His children. I'm thankful that God cares for His children. Look at verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Now, put yourself in the mindset of a sheep. Because green pastures are like the golden corral to a sheep. I mean, that is heaven to be able to go to a green pasture. 
And so as the shepherd leads you to that bountiful meal in the green pasture, afterwards you get thirsty. Now here's something that I learned about sheep. After a big meal in the pasture, sheep aren't picky at all about what they drink. In fact, they're willing to drink contaminated water. They'll drink anything that they can find. And so the shepherd has a responsibility not just to find a green pasture, but the shepherd also has a responsibility to find fresh water for the sheep. And so sometimes to get to that mountain lake, he has to lead the sheep down through the dark valley so that they can get to the water source that is run down from the mountains. Other times, the shepherd might have to take the sheep off the normal path. They might have to go into a cave or down into a crevice, and they might have to go into areas where they have to fully trust the shepherd. But God always cares for his sheep. It's easy to get so concerned about the temptations and the problems of this world that we forget that God has said, I will take care of you. I'll make sure that you have what you need. I'm thinking of Jesus' words in Matthew 6. If you're able to get there quickly, I'll read from Matthew 6 and verse 25. And Jesus is right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is an incredible passage of Scripture. It's one that, that probably uh, during this time of, of COVID, you need to have it highlighted and you need to go back to it and periodically read it. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? I'm in verse 27. Can you add one moment can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then notice verse 33, the pinnacle of the thought here. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Jesus says, do not seek the kingdom of this world first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Live your life as a citizen of heaven. Live your life with a spirit of worship. Live, live your life following after the good shepherd, not as the one who's going to lead you to the preferred destination, but the good shepherd is the destination of life. Live your life in him, through him, by him, with him the Lord knows that there are things that you need, and He will provide for you. You seek first the kingdom of God, 
and all these other things will be added unto you. I'm also thankful today for the paths of righteousness. Look at verse 3. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Have you ever uh, been out in the wilderness and made a wrong turn? So a few years ago, a few of us had the opportunity to go hiking at Mount Rainier. And uh, Paul Reed and I got to go. And one day we were out on a beautiful hike. The clouds had rolled back and you could actually see the top of Mount Rainier. It was beautiful. And we were going to go on what was called the Three Burrows Hike up three mountains that they call the Burroughs Mountains. And so we're about halfway into that hike, and uh, we're kind of going through this narrow area where there's a lot of snow, and I was a little worried about my footing because if you fall, you might not come back. Anyway, uh, Paul gets a phone call in the midst of that. Uh, it's Steve Baggett on the line. And you know, you guys know Paul. He's one of the most caring individuals you'll ever meet in your life. So he's like, oh, i got to take this call. So he takes the call, and uh, I think they were talking about Lord's Supper elements or something of that nature. And uh, they, they talk through the call, and Paul's, ta Paul's talking. And along the way, there's this turn that you're not supposed to take. And Paul takes that turn. And so he gets divided from the group. And hours go by, and we don't know exactly where he is. Now, I won't go through the entire story, but let me just say it ends with us sitting in this little canteen, this little restaurant, wondering where Paul is, worried sick, and suddenly Paul appears in the doorway, looking as if he were about 10 seconds from death, and I think that day, Paul hiked over 22 miles uh, with about 6,000, this is the hard part, about 6,000 feet of elevation during the course of that day, all because he made a wrong turn. Now, there's a danger in the 23rd Psalm. You read this and you begin to think, man, God's into me. God's really into me. I mean, look at all this. He just loves me. He leads me beside the still waters. And you might miss something along the way, and that is that we also have to be restored to the paths of righteousness. Why? Because we've all taken some wrong turns. We've all gotten off the path. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so as followers of the shepherd, there's one thing that we need to be mindful of, and that is that every one of us needs our soul to be restored. That's what the gospel is all about. God intervenes into our scene, lives a life that we could never live, dies on the cross for your sins and mine, overcomes the grave, ascends and comes back again to restore the shalom of creation. Why? Because we all need to be restored to the paths of righteousness. That's the gospel. Your path has to be restored, and God has to put you on the path of obedience. Christianity is not just about trying harder, but Christianity empowers you through the Holy Spirit to live a life that you and I could never live on our own. And don't miss this part of the 23rd Psalm, because you aren't the star. 
Ultimately, everything that the shepherd does and that we do, what does it say? He does this for what? His name's Say it with me. He does it for His name's sake. Now, this is a little hard for us sometimes in our American mindset to recognize you and I aren't the star of the show. God's the star. And God can use your story for His glory. You say, Lash, you don't know my past. You don't know what's happened in my life. You don't know some of the challenges that I've been through. How can God use that? No, I I don't know everything that you've been through. I don't know some of the pain that you may have experienced. But I do know this, that those who traverse great pain possess great strength. And God can take you through that valley. And on the other side, He can use you and your story and what you've been through. He can use that for His glory, for His namesake, because He has taken you from where you are and He has placed you on the path of righteousness and He has restored your soul. Part of the beauty of the gospel is You don't have to stay where you are. You don't have to be defined by your past. God restores our soul, puts us on the path of righteousness, and then leads us towards the future. Now, before we get there, you may notice that verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I'm thankful that God leads me through the valley. And I want to emphasize that word there, through the valley. Some of you today are in the valley. Let's face it, the valley can be frightening. And you're not sure what is lurking in the shadows. What's 2021 have in store? What's going to happen? Maybe there's even people in your life that wish you harm. And as we look at the world and read the headlines, one of the discoveries that we have is that the world is a very dark and sometimes cold place. And there is so much fear, so much to be anxious about. But now hold on a second, because we are citizens of the kingdom, not citizens of this world. Hold on a second, because Jesus has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. You're not alone. But hold on a second, Uh, look around in this room and and realize something. You know one of the reasons why we gather on Sunday mornings? Because when we gather to worship the Lord, there is a communal power and a communal encouragement that occurs when you realize you're not alone. 
Same thing for those of you that are watching online. One of the reasons why we do live services is because we want you to realize that whether you're at home or whether you're in the room or wherever you might be, whatever you're going through, you are not alone. And the scriptures say God is leading you through the valley. Now, if you find yourself in the valley, what do you do? Let me give you four things to do when you're walking through the valley. This might be a good slide to take a picture of or some notes to take. You say, well, I'm not in the valley right now, Lash. No, but one day you will be. And what do you do when you go through the valley? Number one, keep walking. Though I walk through the valley, don't stop. Keep moving. Sometimes all you can do is just put one foot in front of the other. I, I like the saying, Lisa, Lisa Carroll is the one who, who gave it to me, just do the next right thing. And sometimes that's all, that's all you can do is just the next right thing. And you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, and, and you keep walking, and you say, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep walking. But here's a second thing. Keep following. Keep following. Trust the shepherd. He's leading you. So I don't understand where he's leading me. Sometimes I don't understand the Lord either. But keep following. Keep following. Third, lean in to learn. God is taking you through the valley. You can't go around it. You can't go over it. You have to go through the valley. And I think those that have lived a little bit of life will testify to this. You learn the greatest lessons of life in the valley during those difficult moments. Now, I'm not wishing upon you difficulty. I'm not encouraging you, hey, I want to learn today, I'm running to harm. No, that's not what I'm encouraging you here. But when you find yourself in the valley, lean in. I, I love this quote by, by John Maxwell, sometimes I win, sometimes I learn. Fourth, look forward. Look forward. You will come out the other side. This isn't the end. You say, oh, hold on a second, Lash. I have this diagnosis. This, this is the end. No. That's the whole point of Christianity, isn't it? One of the whole points of Christianity, isn't it? That this isn't the end. You will come through the valley because you are alive in Christ. And as long as you're taking up space and taking in air here, there's a reason. There's a reason for your life. You're created on purpose for a purpose, and God desires to use you for His glory. Fourthly today, I'm thankful for a seat at the table. In biblical times, feast occurred once the enemy was defeated. They would have the big battle, and then it would go to the feast and everybody would eat. But look at verse 5 of Psalm 23. Thou preparest a table before me 
in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. God says, hey, just quit worrying so much about the darkness and sit for a moment. I've been cooking. I've been working. I've been putting together a great meal. And I have prepared a table before you, even in the presence of your enemies. God has carefully cooked a meal. And the Bible says he will anoint us with oil. In the scriptures, oil was used in a couple of different ways. One, it was solving. It it, it was a, a medicine to the wounds. And so whenever you endured a wound on the battlefield, they would use oil. Or whenever a sheep would have a wound upon his head, the shepherd would put an oil on the wound in order to uh, bring calm and peace to the wound. But the oil was also used for new beginnings. When God had set you apart for a calling in your life. And God says, I will anoint your head with oil. Your cup will overflow. I will fill your cup with new wine. My blessings will fill your life. And not only will they fill your life, but they will overflow your life so that what I am doing in you will not be contained just to you, but I'm going to use your life in such a way where you are also a blessing to others. There's a seat at the table for you. There's a seat at the table for you, my friend. God desires you to be part of his family and to take your seat at the table. In biblical days, when, uh, when you had a guest at your home and, and you were enjoying the conversation and you wanted it to continue, you kept filling the cup. The cup never went dry, and so you kept talking. But when you were ready for them to leave, guess what you did? You quit filling the cup. That was their sign. It's time to go home. God says, guess what? I'm just going to keep on filling your cup. And it's going to keep on overflowing. Because you have a seat at my table. You belong. And that seat is not going to be taken out from under you. Circumstances of this world are not going to take away that seat. You are safe in his hands. His love for you is extended to you through Christ, not because of your loveliness. You are secure in your place at the table because it has been secured through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to sit at the Lord's table. And as a congregation, I'm going to invite you today to take communion If you're at home, I know some of you came and picked up the communion elements there. Uh, We had them on the front porch today or this week. And some of you may also have communion elements there in your home. In front of you, in the seat in front of you, there is a, uh, it looks like this. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and that is how we practice it here, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, public profess that, then we invite you to reach for the communion elements. Don't take them until I, I'll, I'll give you instruction and we'll guide you through. Just go ahead and take them in your hands and 
It's put together a little bit differently, uh, but you can just peel off the top, and you'll see there is the bread. Hold the bread in your hand for just a moment. Because what this represents is the body of Christ that was broken for you. In some ways, it represents your past. It represents those moments where you've fallen short. My friend, God never falls short. And Jesus' body was broken so that you can be healed. Jesus' body was broken so that you don't have to live in the darkness of sin, the hopelessness of solitude, but that there is a place at the table and you belong to Him. And Jesus encouraged us to remember Him, to give thanks for Him, and to do so in this very tangible way where we take the bread and the wine and we take them into ourselves remembering who our Savior is and what He has done for us. This is Christ's body. Take and eat. You'll take the juice, just kind of peel off the top layer. In some ways, the bread looks back. It looks back at what was, and how Christ died for our sins, how there's forgiveness in Him. In the same way, the wine looks forward. It is the new covenant that has been established through Christ's blood. And because of who Christ is and what He has done for you, that is why you are safe in Him. The past, the past has been forgiven. The present has purpose. And the future has hope. Be thankful. Be hopeful. Look forward. We go through the valley. Jesus said, take and drink, for this is my blood. Lord, today we give thanks to you. We praise your holy name. And I pray that as Larry leads us through this next song, that it might be a song of worship and a song of gratitude as we sing together. Larry, lead us through this.